0: Hello friends, welcome to Mr. Rewatch, Mr. Robot Recap Show, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Dave. Yeah, Aaron is actually in New York today, so if you happen to find the nuts on Raging Bull are missing, I think that we know where to start looking. Uh, So Dave, maybe you can tell me what you've been up to since we recorded last.
1: Uh, I haven't been up to much, but I am planning on recording a comedy show that Aaron's putting on on Tuesday in Waterloo.
0: That sounds pretty cool. We should uh, put out a link to that when it's ready. Oh,
1: absolutely. What's it called? Uh, it's the ladies out loud. Oh, um, sweet. Yeah. It's
0: all feminist and queer positive comedy, man. You know, I've heard a lot about that, but I've never actually, uh, seen it. So it'll be cool to get that opportunity.
1: Yeah. I don't, there won't be video. I think, I think it's just going to be an audio show. Oh, that's cool. And I think she wants to, I, we might split the tracks and we might release it as an album. I'm not too sure of the logistics. So I'm just going there to record.
0: Well, that sounds exciting. I want to hear some more about it. Uh, Aaron is also normally the one who is more, more more prepared than us and she picks the song that we use in these episodes uh unfortunately we did not look up the track list so can you pull a song out of the air for us oh
1: yeah sure i just did my my spotify rap so they give you stats on what you listen to for the whole year yeah uh my most listened to artist was kendrick lamar the album was damn and the song was humble
0: my left stroke just went viral right stroke put See, we like to keep it on the high note. It's levels to it, you and I know. Bitch, be humble. Holla, bitch, sit down. Holla, bitch, sit down. Be humble. Hull up, bitch, hulla bitch, sit down. Bitch, sit down.
1: Holla up, hold up, sit down. down hold up, 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 low, hold up, be humble. Hold So we start the first scene with uh it's actually a flashback, and we see our good friend Gideon.
0: I was so glad that they brought Gideon back to the series, even if it was only just for this
1: one scene. Yeah, it was. It's awesome. He's uh he's actually in the room uh, with Price, Tyrell, and Terry.
0: Yeah, I was less glad to see that Terry made a comeback as well.
1: Yeah, he's. I think everybody loves to hate this man. <laughs> they're in the they're in this conference room, and uh, Gideon's just trying to sell uh, All Safes uh, services to E Corp.
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, they haven't really established a professional relationship just yet. Allsafe is trying to take on Ecorp as a client, but it doesn't really sound like they're doing a very good job of impressing them.
1: Harry's just such a dick to Gideon. This whole conversation, <laughs> like he's using such rude, like euphemisms about.
0: Uh, I didn't write any of them down, but they're just like yeah. vulgar. I haven't heard any of those things since I lived in North Bay. It's uh, it's locker room talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good word for it. So, um, at some point, Angela steps into the room. Did you see what she's actually there for? Is she like delivering something to Gideon?
1: Yeah, she's she's handing some papers that I think he's going to
0: uh, give to them. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Terry, uh, being a, a woman in the room, he assumes that she's uh, someone's assistant or something like that and asks her to top up his coffee. There's, like, a, a moment
1: of hesitation, and Price is, like, fixated on Angela this whole time.
0: Oh, yeah, it's kind of creepy, actually. And I think um, Price, he seems a little disappointed that Terry made this assumption, and he seems, like, maybe even a little bit embarrassed for him. Uh, Gideon, though, he actually kind of intervenes and says that Angela doesn't need to do this. However, she does it anyway just out of uh, politeness and social conditioning, I suppose. We see uh, Price, Tyrell, and Terry uh, driving away now. It seems like they've already made the decision not to use Allsafe, because like I was saying, their services don't seem that impressive. Uh, Like, they don't really meet the needs that Decor has. But... Price, uh, I think that since he's seen Angela, he, for some reason, is very adamant about using uh, all safe. Yeah, and so they get out of the car, and I
1: guess they get back to the E-Corp building, and Tyrell kind of pulls Price aside and says, like, I don't think this is a good idea.
0: Yeah, and we get some early hints about that internal security team that he was talking about creating in, like, the second episode of the series.
1: Yeah, and um, Price just, like, lays it on the line that he, he is not there for uh, Tyrell's opinion. Like, he doesn't care about it. The decision's
0: been made. Exactly. And um, there's like a little bit of a snub here because it's revealed that Price doesn't even know Tyrell's name, (laughs) even though he's been working with him all day. Yeah, that's
1: a you know what? Price is a smart guy. I bet he just used that statement to like kind of break Tyrell down a bit more.
0: Oh, my God. You know, wasn't there like some really famous uh, celebrity who was questioned about some other celebrity they were in a feud with and they were just like, oh, I've never heard of them. They have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, but we can we can cut that. I was so confused. <laughs> but about. that's
1: such a it's such a good play. But that's <laughs> like it's so insulting to be like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. There's something I did note about uh, this scene. So Price walks into the building, and you get a ch- close up shot of Tyrell, and you can see his face like get kind of like like he's he's slowly snapping, and the the camera angle just kind of shoots up into the sky.
0: Oh yeah, and it's kind of like a, a mirror to that shot in the. Um like the one take episode, what was that called again? Um, I forget which episode it was, but I
1: know it was the third one, right? The third episode of the season. But the bird's eye view.
0: I think it was the fifth. Was the fifth? Yeah, the bird's eye view. Well, anyway, people know what we're talking about, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't catch what you were talking about with Tyrell's um, facial expressions. I guess they're kind of subtle, but good. Like face acting has been something consistent from the show. <laughs> yeah, he's got
1: like it's it's uh, uh what are they called? With, like micro reactions or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you can just see his face get, like, more stern. <laughs> you know, like, he's kind of, like, flexing his cheeks or something.
0: Yeah, so we can see that maybe this is the beginning of his kind of... uh his descent? Yeah, because now it flashes back to present day, and he arrives home, and he finds things that belong to his deceased wife and absent child.
1: Yeah, and he, he again, he just breaks... Like, he physically breaks down this time. Like, he you know was crying on the floor, and um, yeah, that's all I got for that.
0: Yeah, he really Tyrells it as we've come to use that term. <laughs> So meanwhile, we cut over to Mr. Robot, who's in Elliot's apartment, or rather, I guess it's also his apartment, and uh, he's he's found the email that Trenton sends Elliot.
1: Yeah, and so along with that, he's also, um, we don't really see what he does at this point, right? We just kind of see him take off.
0: Yeah, well, we see that he, um, like, because of the email, he's found out that the recovery keys that could decrypt the, the 5-9 data, they think that that's in the FBI's Sentinel program, So he was doing some research on that, and then afterward, he did some research on where to find Tyrell. Because he found out that he was released, he decided to go meet Tyrell.
1: Yeah, so now now we're back at Tyrell's place, and uh, he's kind of collected himself, but then
0: Mr. Robot just shows up in his house. Yeah, and he kind of accuses Tyrell of betraying him. Because this attack, uh, these 71 buildings, this is not really the plan that Mr. Robot had intended to be a part of. From his perspective, this was just going to be an attack on that one central building. And now this attack has ended up being much more catastrophic than he had intended.
1: A lot of um, what Mr. Robot tells Tyrell is that he's just a puppet. They're the men who fuck you over for profit, for fun. They leave you in the streets for dead, just like you're Joanna. And that's where Tyrell... Oh, yeah. That's where he snaps.
0: Yeah, and he goes and puts the gloves on, which is some very Patrick Bateman symbolism, I thought. And then he just, like, beats him. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, the, the one thing I noted, too, was... um. I forget, I forget where I learned this, and I could still be wrong about it. Uh, he grabs Mr. Robot's arm, his right arm, and he throws it over Mr. Robot's own neck and holds it down. And that's so he can't move his head as he pummels him.
0: Oh, wow. Huh. I, I, I'm very curious where you learned that. <laughs>
1: it's uh, Yeah, I, th- I think it's part of, like, Krav Maga, the Israeli
0: oh. Oh, super yeah. fighter. Man, that shit's brutal. <laughs> I think that I've read a bit about that, and it's one of the forms of martial arts that is very, like, pragmatic, right? Like, it's not really about style and stuff. It's more about just being insanely brutal. Yeah, it's it's about being (laughs) as
1: effective as possible.
0: Yeah. And it looks like he was about to until... Until uh, there's a knock on the door.
1: Tyrell's pissed. He opens the door. He's like, what? Kind of just goes, oh, sorry, sir. (laughs) Uh, Who did you think it was when when he said that? Uh, You can see Price in the Reflection.
0: Oh, okay. Bar. Well I guess it's really <laughs> obvious then, isn't it? <laughs> um I think that this is one of the scenes in the trailer. So I was really curious when this was gonna come up. Yeah, it's
1: uh it's interesting because Price just kind of like he asks if he's like, may I come in? But then he just like walks in anyways.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um Mr. Robot's also pretty surprised to see him. But we need to remember that from Price's perspective, Mr. Robot is actually Elliot. So now he realizes that um he's also been involved in this.
1: So Price comes in and they proceed to talk about uh just things like they're not really talking about anything important. And then Price lets Tyrell know that he's become the he's been appointed the CTO position at E Corp,
0: which is interesting to think about because from the very beginning that's kind of been um, Tyrell's main objective, right? Yeah. But it doesn't really play out in the way that he had wanted. Price tells him that he's really CTO in name only. He's sort of still expected to just do what everybody says. He says that obedience will be your only task, and it it's funny because. Um, what Mr. Robot says to Tyrell is that you're just a puppet, that you are now indebted to these people who got you out of prison. And Tyrell denies that. And then Price shows up and starts bossing him around <laughs> immediately yeah. like, Immediately after. Yeah,
1: Price basically confirms what Mr. Robot was telling uh, Tyrell. Yeah. Tyrell tries to, like, be tough at Price. And then Price pulls
0: that whole, like, things only happen because men like me let them. Yeah, that's been, like, a recurring theme, hasn't it? I feel like I've heard that speech a few times this season.
1: I would remember when he was like talking to Angela about like the the four men or whatever that he's afraid of. Oh, the two men. The two men. Yes. Yeah. So one one I think is absolutely uh, Minister Zhang. Yes. I think the other is actually Elliot.
0: I could believe that. Um, I wonder if they'll like directly reference that quote when when it comes up. Mister Robot has a question for Price, which is if he knew that the five nine hack was going to happen, because what Price says is that they knew from the beginning. And 5-9 was never really your revolution. It was just that you kind of stepped into ours and we were able to leverage what you were doing already. He says that it's, it's not lone wolves who are able to change the world. It's leaders because you don't force an agenda. You inspire one, which is um, sounds like some Dale Carnegie shit.
1: Who's Dale Carnegie?
0: How to win friends and influence people. Oh, I've never... Read <laughs> that book. Well, no, I've never read ever in my yeah, life. <laughs> okay. Well, he's winning friends and influencing people here is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, not really.
1: <laughs> because he proceeds to leave and uh, Tyrell and Mr. Robot, like Tyrell's shaken. Tyrell's
0: always shaken. Is this when he starts fully Tyrelling it and just chugging vodka from the bottle?
1: Yeah. And Mr. Robot's kind of like pacing around behind him. And yeah. He's like, you know, I told you, I told you. And uh, that's when Tyrell gives the information that they have that dark army has a
0: guy on the fbi oh yeah that's right man i I didn't note that but that is a very important thing to note
1: (laughs) watch this episode five times
0: (laughs) yeah you were saying it was really good huh um i only saw it three times but one of them was this morning so i really should have picked up on that tyrell does kind of um admit defeat at this point and he says that he has been under their control and really the prison that he's in now is very similar to the literal prison that he was in in the past And this is where the two interspersed storylines in this episode start to become a little more uh, connected. Because Mr. Robot goes home and he writes on the mirror that uh, they own the FBI, that information that Tyrell had given him. And at this moment, Mr. Robot flips back to Elliot, who sees that writing on the wall.
1: So Elliot's like super confused about what this could possibly mean.
0: I thought it was kind of funny, to be honest, because he looks at the mirror and it says they own the FBI and he's just like, what could this mean? I have no idea. You've got, you've got two big bad guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going to be
1: E-Corp because they're busy trying to, you know, build themselves back up. Yeah, exactly.
0: So Elliot now knows that Mr. Robot had taken control and somehow they found out that the FBI had been owned by the Dark Army. When he looks at the computer, the one that Mr. Robot was using earlier, he sees that he had researched Sentinel and now he goes to find Darlene at the F Society Arcade.
1: We see Elliot and Darlene in the F Society or the Fun Society arcade, <laughs> and that's where they kind of uh, devise a plan. And Darlene says that she can get into Sentinel,
0: yeah, because she has um, kind of a connection to the FBI already in the form of Dom. Elliot makes her just promise to be safe with whatever her plan is, and then they they part ways. So now Elliot and Darlene's storylines kind of start to diverge a little bit, and we're gonna continue with Darlene until the end of the episode. She ends up connecting with Dom, and they meet together at a bar.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's under the pretext that uh, Darlene has information for her, and she just kind of opens... She does some crazy good at social engineering in
0: this, uh, in this scene, I think. Are you talking about Dom or about Darlene? Uh, Darlene. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that Darlene has kind of consistently been, like, a social engineering expert. And it helps that they're kind of jovial in getting, like, ridiculously drunk. I'm pretty sure that it's easier to socially engineer drunk people.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> they haven't... Uh, well, yeah, I guess Dom may have had a few drinks already because uh, Darlene was late getting there. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll try to gauge how how much Dom drank throughout this episode. Because <laughs> <right>? <laughs> well, every scene
0: you see her, she gets a little bit more drunk. <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny because Dom doesn't look like a character who gets drunk very often. The information that Darlene has for Dom is that... Well, actually, there, there's too much for me to go over. She basically just explains the entirety of the 5-9 hack.
1: Yeah, and she talks about how they, they work together with Dark Army. Um, Dom, it. there was a sign of ignorance here, where you realize how little Dom actually knows because she just assumes that White Rose is a
0: man. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, especially because she already um, has that suspicion about Minister Zhang from when he showed Dom uh, his sister's dresses. So Dom now asks Darlene to testify, but Darlene is kind of hesitant about this, knowing what the Dark Army will do to people in that position, especially because she's seen it firsthand when they attacked Cisco.
1: Yeah, and so um, she kind of just... This is, my, this is where I think Darlene does the great social engineering. She says, sorry, I can't like help you out more. Uh, I'm just going to leave. And Don's
0: just like, oh, no, like stay. She goes to the bathroom for a minute and she finds out that her first plan, which was to sniff um, Dom's RFID card, was unsuccessful. So now she has to come up with some kind of alternative plan.
1: Uh, so Darlene sits back down at the bar and uh, just begins to seduce Dom.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, we've already made a few jokes about Tyrelling as a verb. But it seems like having um, having a, a relationship like this purely for the purpose of hacking someone is another one of those Tyrelly things to do. So it's funny for Darlene to do that as well. They have a good time at the bar and end up going back to Dom's place afterward.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I think the pretext there is that they're just going to have like one drink, hang out a little bit, and then Darlene's going to get on her way.
0: Yeah, the thing I didn't really get was that like she makes a joke when they first arrive that Darlene is only allowed in because she doesn't like girls. And it makes me think, like, what was the pretext for this to begin with then? Like, are you just coming over <laughs> to say hi?
1: <laughs> yeah, just, you know, have one last drink, make a few jokes, go Yeah, home.
0: you know, like coming up for coffee, it's not actually coffee. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially late at night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's a, another little bit of dialogue here where Dom talks to Alexa. And I love every time that happens. I think that it says a lot about her character.
1: Yeah, she says, give me the five nine. and. That, that's that's a cop term as well, right? For like getting information about something.
0: It is. Like give me the. <laughs>
1: like I think so. I could be wrong because it could also just pertain to like, everything after the five nine hack. Yeah. But I think it's like saying, "Give me the skinny."
0: I gotcha. Um, one little Easter egg here, actually. You know how there's been that fan theory about Darlene dying in a plane crash? Yeah. So I'm kind of less confident that that's going to happen in this season because they haven't really been developing that part of the storyline so much. But one thing that's important to note here is that when they're walking in, they're, uh, when they're first walking into the apartment, Darlene steps in front of a poster of Patsy Cline, who in real life died in a plane crash. Good catch. Yeah, I did not catch that myself. Good I found it. On it. <laughs> Good catch, to the person who found that. So at this point, um, Dom locks up her gun and her keycard. So Darlene is a little defeated. She She's here just for the purpose of getting a copy of that card. And now she kind of is obliged to go through the motions, but without actually getting what she was there for.
1: I don't think she's terribly upset about that, though.
0: I think that she was a little disappointed, but I don't think that she's upset about it. Like I was, I think I was
1: more thinking, like, I think she's still, like, attracted to Dom. So I think she's, like, winning in that aspect.
0: I don't know. I think that, I think that she was totally gaming her.
1: The whole time that like, there was no... Yeah. Ooh... I think Jesus that Darlene is eh? cold as ice. <laughs> he is. Well, yeah, I guess she'd still be pretty hung up on Cisco, eh? Probably. Yeah.
0: So uh, in the middle of the night, she wakes up and goes to that safe. I guess that she'd probably like looked over her shoulder to guess what the code was. And inside there is the gun on the card. But before she's able to retrieve it, Dom interrupts her.
1: Yeah. She said, you can't talk your way out of this one.
0: Oh, yeah. And I, I thought this was a tense moment because, of course, Darlene has a gun right in front of her.
1: I think Dom has a gun under her pillow. She, you she say that she seems like the kind of person oh. who would have a gun under her pillow. Yeah,
0: but what I, what I'm saying right now is that Darlene has the opportunity to shoot Dom, and I really wondered if that would happen.
1: But I think no. What I'm saying is I think Dom also has the opportunity to shoot Darlene.
0: No, because you're saying that it would be under the pillow, but Dom is she like standing in the bed a behind her. Oh, so you think that? <laughs> you, oh, so you think that she picked up the gun before she walked over? Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes the most sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, this is just
1: speculation.
0: I can't imagine sleeping with a gun under the pillow. Like, guns go off sometimes. You'd have to be,
1: like, really quick with the safety if you ever wanted to, like, draw it on someone.
0: There are guns that shoot if you just, like, shake them the wrong way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't <laughs> care about guns.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good attitude. So, now we're back in that very familiar FBI interrogation room. It's Dom and Darlene, and Dom has the camera fixed on fixed on Darlene. Isn't
1: Santiago there, too?
0: Santiago walks in. So right. I thought that's an important note because that means that he hasn't been involved in the situation yet. He's only being introduced to it now.
1: Right. Oh yeah. Cause he gets all confused. He's all like, why is she here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we need to remember that important note that Darlene is no longer officially, um, confidential human source, CHS. I think that's what that stands yes. for. So it, it's technically okay for Dom to, um, be hanging out with Darlene, but it's still not really a good luck. And Santiago is going to use that to admonish her.
1: There's some interrogation, uh, when Santiago kind of, like, asks Darlene for the information of, like, what do you know? She's, like, very, like, has, like, very, um... What's the word I'm looking for? Just being, like, no,
0: like, About fuck it. you. Yeah. That's, that's the note that I had. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that that's interesting, because sort of, like, the last time she was being interrogated, she always first presents that very, um, like, impenetrable exterior, but then sort of rapidly reveals everything <laughs> she knows anyway. Um, the first thing she says is that the FBI is compromised for the Dark Army, of course, we, the viewer, know that's true and Santiago knows that's true. But he sort of scoffs at the idea and um, tries to dismiss it.
1: Yeah, he's like, where, where did you find that information? How do you know that? Uh, that's when Darling breaks down and uh, basically just says everything. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> she explains that the, the data that was lost in the 5-9 attack could be recoverable if they're able to get those encryption keys off of Romero's laptop, which is actually just elsewhere in this building.
1: So this is my theory, is that This whole thing, getting up to this point where Darlene kind of sells herself of like, you know, watch like over my shoulder. Let me have access to it and I'll prove it to you. I think all the things that led up to that point were her social
0: engineering. I can agree with that. Yeah. She is an expert player of that game. This is obviously a very good opportunity for them to get the encryption keys and maybe like restore peace to the world, which sounds like an exaggeration, but it's actually not in this universe. So it's kind of difficult for Santiago to come up with some way to dismiss this idea, like all of Dom's other suggestions. And I think the fact that he makes that attempt is a red flag for Dom, and she's starting to catch on to him.
1: Yeah, and then uh, they're in like Dom and Santiago are in like a room by themselves. And Dom's like, this is, this is it. This is what we're looking for. This is what we've been investigating this whole thing for in the
0: first place. Still, he ends up assigning a different agent to the case just to get Dom out of the picture. And as soon as he can, he calls Irving to report this. He thinks that maybe he's been burned. And he explains that Darlene is um, talking about undoing Five-Nine. So obviously that's something that Irving would want to hear about. And he just says, okay. Doesn't really say
1: anything more than that. Not even on, You uh-huh. know. He also asks like where she is physically.
0: Oh, yeah, because she still is in that interrogation chamber. Chamber is not the right word for it, is it? That sounds like something that a castle would have. (laughs) But um, this is obviously a very vulnerable position for Zarlene now, because she's kind of locked up with nowhere to go.
1: Uh, The scene that we do see Irving on the phone, he's still, he's at home and he's working on his novel.
0: I really hope that they release that one day.
1: What was it called again?
0: I don't know, you're the one I knew. Yeah, (laughs) I (laughs) know. I have the worst memory in the world, man. So speaking of Irving, this episode is not linear in the least. It's probably one of the most confusingly structured ones so far. So we're going to cut back a little bit to uh, the moments where Elliot and Darlene split up, when Darlene went to Dom, and we see that Elliot has met Irving. And he's done that in a pretty clever way by hacking his car.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he he hacks the honesty. Actually, we saw Irving do this with... Um
0: yeah, exactly. It, the,
1: the FBI guys. Or was it FBI or was it Dark Army?
0: It was uh, the FBI. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. He stops the FBI car with that same hack that Elliot uses on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Elliot like pops in the back seat.
0: <laughs> yeah. The driver's a little sketched out. They end up leaving and walking back to the lot or whatever. And Irving, he puts some tape over like the mi- microphone or camera or something. They're, they're cameras. Cameras. Why Why do you have cameras in your car? Uh, it's for OnStar. It's to make sure that you are the driver driving the car. OnStar is freaking creepy.
1: yeah. It's super, like, super surveillance state stuff.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, sounds like it. So the purpose of this meeting is that Elliot wants to establish some connection with White Rose to talk about stage three.
1: Yeah, and Irving's like, since when did I start taking orders from
0: you? And since when is there a third stage?
1: Yeah, Elliot's just like, you don't want to mess with your employer's timeline. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, like, everybody knows that's a big deal.
0: Huh, because there's a lot of, a lot at stake here. So now that Elliot's taking care of that, he heads home and he finds that Angela's actually there waiting for him.
1: Yeah, and Angela's like super convinced that time will reverse and that everything will be okay again.
0: Yeah, well, we see that she's uh, taken a bit of a decline, like her hair is all messed up. She's incredibly paranoid and um, she's afraid that people are watching her. So she suggests that she and Elliot go up to his apartments and continue their discussion there. And upstairs, they find that Leon is waiting for them. So actually, it's kind of weird that there were two people (laughs) who who had broken into his apartment waiting for him.
1: There's an important statement when they're uh, outside the building. What's that? Uh, Elliot looks Angela right in the eye and says, they're never coming back.
0: Oh, yeah, and the important detail there is that he thinks that Angela's just been manipulated. And I'm kind of starting to believe that myself. You know, that we've been speculating about there being like a a sci-fi twist this season, but they've been talking about that less and less as it progresses. And I wonder if that still is going to be something that takes over the universe or if it's just something that's local to the Angela character.
1: To be honest with you, I never really bought into the whole time travel sci-fi stuff that's been theorized and talked about a lot.
0: I hope they don't go that way, so...
1: It doesn't seem like they would like, like everything about this show is like pretty real, you know,
0: I guess so. we're, we're getting off on a tangent now because we just uh, introduced Leon. So Leon's up there hanging out smoking the joints and Angela essentially immediately accuses him of being the person who's watching her try to get more information about her plans. Leon is um, sort of confused by her actions uh, as we the viewer are ourselves. He's completely off of the event at this point. And she even goes so far as to accuse Elliot of trying to get information from her.
1: Yeah. And uh, Leon's really pushing the the timeline that, you know, they, him and Elliot got to go. Like, he's got to take him somewhere.
0: Exactly. So he asks Angela to leave, but she volunteers to do so.
1: So then we see Angela in her apartment, which it was her apartment in the last, like last episode, you guys were talking about like, where are they? Cause like the, she yeah. painted all of her walls black.
0: Yeah. Well, we can, we can see that it looks like a completely different space because we had thought that it was a different apartment. It turns out she's just painted the walls black, stapled up. what looks like thousands of pictures. What, what did you think they were?
1: I think they're the victims of all the attacks.
0: Yeah. So she's completely nuts. And she's in fact, either talking to QWERTY or an imaginary friend. He's explaining that they kind of need to pack up their things and go.
1: Well, I noticed, too, that there was two, like, brightly colored telephones on her table. And there was, like, books scattered all over it.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, do you think that one of the telephones was red, right? I don't think so.
1: Oh, okay. I think it was, like, the same model of phone, but it wasn't red, like, in that room.
0: Yeah, because um, they have the same hang-in-there poster uh, as in that room. And also Lolita. So a lot of objects in this room were also in that weird Twin Peaks room from season two.
1: Yeah, so I think she just kind of made her living room look like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think she's trying to like remodel so.
0: Yeah, remodel is one word for it, I guess. <laughs> she packs up her stuff into um her crazy bin, I guess. I don't really know what other thing you would call that. And uh takes off to the streets. Yeah, and so uh
1: walking down the street, she crosses the street and she runs into a guy who's selling his mixtape. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not falling for that shit again. Yeah and uh then she turns around because a dude says, uh, Miss Moss.
0: One thing I want to note before we go down that route is who still has a CD drive? Like I mentioned this in a previous episode when I was talking about how I would haunt people if I was a ghost by opening their CD drives. But those don't exist anymore. So I don't know what this guy is trying to give away.
1: I have a, an external one that just sits in my closet. So wow. if I ever need to use optical media, I just like plug it in. And
0: When's the last time you had to use that? Exactly. (laughs) So Angela, she's being abducted here, basically, but she doesn't really seem so um, upset by this. She just says, we're ready. And who the we is is definitely open to interpretation.
1: Yeah. Part of me is like, it's got to be QWERTY.
0: I would love for it to be QWERTY, but there is a pretty popular fan theory that Angela also has a kind of other identity, which could be her mother or something like that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the mind fuck for the finale. Ooh. Now we want to get back to Elliot and Leon. They're walking together, and they
1: meet up with a dude who's... Is he playing chess by himself on the, the stairs? <laughs>
0: I didn't notice. Yeah, well, he's Maybe like, he's playing chess with his uh, alter ego. <laughs> maybe. Maybe everybody's got an alter ego in this <laughs> yeah. show.
1: Um, and so, you know, Leon's just like, this is it for me, man.
0: Like, go on. Yep, and this guy basically just uh, chauffeurs him over to Grant, White Rose's assistant. So I thought it was kind of interesting that they have, like a chain of three people who pick up and hand off Elliot in order to get them to grants. And each of them walks like a block, (laughs) like they could have probably just had one person handle that.
1: Yeah. Another thing I noticed too, is like they they're sitting at a table with two chairs in a wide open field.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought that was some awesome cinematography, to be honest. It, was, it looked great, but that's the
1: most conspicuous thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my
0: life. It absolutely is conspicuous, but I guess it goes to show you how uh, brazen they are. The, the cinematography, it reminded me of the scene where um, Zhang and Price are talking outside with their umbrellas in the rain.
1: Yeah, good one. That's a good, good connection there.
0: I don't think that was a deliberate reference or anything. I just thought it was uh, kind of similar.
1: Well, I think that's because like, Sam Esmail did direct every episode. Of This season and I think season two as well. Oh, um, yeah, that's pretty cool So I think he's using a lot of the same shot techniques to to kind of frame his own show, right? Yeah, so they're at the table because uh, they want to Basically just take everything off of Elliot's laptop because they're there under the impression that
0: they're gonna learn about stage three Yeah, because it's still not really clear what stage three is One thing I want to note here first um, is something called rubber hose cryptanalysis. Have you ever heard of this before? no So cryptography, there are a lot of algorithms that are like provably secure, such as like the one-time pad and things like that. But there's always one kind of attack that you can use to break a cipher, which is rubber hose cryptanalysis. And that's a term for when you take a rubber hose and you beat someone with it until they give you the password. (laughs) So this is kind of an example of that because Elliot, with all of the cool encryption tools he's used to keep his laptop secure... If he's under duress, they can just ask him to type in his password and he does that.
1: I think he knows that um, they're going to do this, so he's just complying anyways. Like they'll, they'd kill him, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like when you go to the United States border and they want to look at your social media accounts. Yeah. (laughs) You can't be like, no. Yeah. So at at this moment, uh, Elliot starts explaining to Grant what stage three is. Of course, Elliot had asked for a meeting with White Rose, and Grant is just going to pass on this information later. But what Elliot explains is that Stage Two has not successfully destroyed ECorp because of Ecoin, which is now the like world standard currency. So they're going to survive as long as Ecoin is a success, and they suggested subsequent attack on Ecoin just to make sure that they deliver the the killing blow to ECorp.
1: So Grant passes on this information uh, in the next scene to White Rose. Just after she flips her shit because they haven't moved to the Congo yet.
0: Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I, I think that um, this is some... It, it's not what we expect from the White Rose character. He was normally very collected.
1: I do... Okay, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm going to go on a little tangent here, and you have to, you have to kind of stick with me. <laughs> is it proven at all in any of the episodes that uh, Minister Zhang and White Rose are the same person? Or are we just assuming that because they're the same actor?
0: I think that it's been pretty well established. I think.
1: I don't think there's any explicit. The dresses. dresses. So?
0: I guess not, well, not explicit in the sense that you haven't seen them like change from one to the other. Yeah. But I think that it's pretty clear. Like, I don't think that they're going to be different people, especially because Zhang is not really like even a character anymore. It was basically just like a one off because now like they present as white rose even when they're male. Does that make sense?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still I I've got a theory that they're different people.
0: <laughs> okay. That's kind of the like out of left field thing that I might expect from the show to be honest.
1: She goes and she pours herself a very fine glass of gin. <laughs> that's a bottle of Hendrix and that's a very nice gin.
0: Oh you recognize it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I like gin.
0: <laughs> I like how there's uh, the glass player who's just making some awesome music in the background, not really too phased by this.
1: Yeah, I was I was thinking the other day, I was like, I'd love to have that kind of money to just have a dedicated glass heart player.
0: And I bet that those glasses are probably some like fancy crystal shit.
1: Oh, yeah. And like <laughs> it it's the mood that they're playing, like they're, the song they're playing fits the mood of the conversation that Grant and White Rose have. Because mm-hmm. Grant starts to talk about Elliot's stage three. And it's interesting because like they, they don't there's no stage three. So they're pretty confused about it. White Rose shows quite a bit of humility because she mentions the fact that Grant was right about not being able to trust Elliot in the first place.
0: I think that it's a bit of a facade, though, to be honest. I think that Grant's, like, overstepping his boundaries here, and White Rose is just playing him off like she has manipulated so many other people.
1: Probably, because there's definitely, like, there's tension between them. Like, they have a relationship.
0: Yeah. So Grant is explaining that these hardships that White Rose is experiencing now are her fault, because rather than allowing Grant to have a larger role in this operation— she continued to um, like allow stage two to happen and kind of continue to work with Elliot when that was against his recommendation.
1: Yeah. So then she asks him for his recommendation and uh, he says, he brings up a point about uh, giving Elliot the same fate as his father.
0: Yeah. So this harkens back to the premiere of season three, I guess when White Rose is saying to Grant that's the father kind of, kind of died for this cause and there'll be a day when Elliot does as well. Grant's basically
1: saying, uh, now's the time to kill him.
0: That is such a second to last episode of the season thing to say. Oh yeah, building that suspense. (laughs) So speaking of suspense, now we cut back to Elliot. And he's kind of got some crazy, awesome hacker shit going on right now.
1: Yeah, so Elliot is going on about meeting with White Road, or meeting with Grant. Was his plan all along? Because he knew they were going to flash his computer. And so what... What happened when they flashed his computer?
0: (laughs) He had some kind of exploits on the computer that ended up uh, being executed when they went to inspect it. So this kind of actually clues back to that rubber hose cryptanalysis thing I was talking about, because I think this hints that Elliot probably did anticipate that they would image his laptop. And, and he probably thought they would just take the laptop, to be honest. Like, it was nice for them to give it back afterward. <laughs> but one thing he could have done is have um, what's called a hidden volume, where you have two different passwords that unlock two different plain texts, depending on which password you put in. So if somebody had you, um, like, if somebody was threatening you, you could unlock data that wasn't really what they were looking for, but still reveal a password to them that would satisfy them.
1: Yeah, and so Elliot's plan basically is that when the Dark Army goes to look at the contents of his laptop, he will have infected them with malware that gives him access to their networks.
0: And Grant kind of has a suspicion because he thinks that Elliot's not telling the truth and that F Society's next attack might not be on eCorn like they've been talking about, but actually on the Dark Army. So now we need to wonder what that is going to be.
1: And that's, that's it. It ends, well, it ends with Elliot saying I own the uh, Dark Army now. Which was surprisingly easy, actually. He's ended episodes with that line before, too, but about the FBI.
0: You know, when you look at the episode-by-episode episode structure of each season, there kind of does seem to be a bit of a formula to it. Yeah, am trying not to overthink that, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely not thinking about that when I'm watching the episodes. But, like, when you reflect on the whole season, you're like, yeah, they kind of follow the same arc.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like... Season two and three, episode two, had like the death of a supporting character, Gideon and Joanna. Yep. And then the midpoints is like a, a hack on the FBI. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what's going to happen in the finale now.
1: Me too. And uh, not to wait till Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode in downtown Toronto.
0: And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd ask you to consider donating to the Center for Addiction and Mental Health at CAMH.ca. I'm
1: Dave. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir.